I heard about a, a story about a wife who had bought some glasses for her husband, but now she was returning to the store because she wanted to return them. And so she walked in and, and she handed the glasses, just set them down on the, on the desk at the, the counter to the receptionist and said, I'm, I, I'm, these don't work. I, I'm, I want my money back. And the receptionist said, well, is there something wrong with them? Can I, can I help you in some way? And she said, well, I, 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 I bought these a week ago and, and they don't work. And she said, well, what do you mean they don't work? And she said, well, I bought them for my husband and he's still not seeing things my way. So <laughs> I don't know if you got glasses for your husband or your wife this year, but uh, welcome to 2020, a year that is probably going to be a lot of, you're going to hear a lot of bad puns and bad jokes about vision and eyesight. I mean, can't you just see that coming? Some of you are like, I see what you did there. They're not going to get any better. If I keep telling jokes, they're just going to keep getting cornea and cornea. Aren't you glad I'm back? Amen to that, right? But in all seriousness, happy new year, happy 2020, a beginning of a new, not only a new year, but I for, kind of forgot about this, a whole new decade. I guess I should know my numbers. That starts at zero and, and goes up, but a whole new decade. And it's just kind of exciting times whenever we start a new year because it's just full of possibilities. And I, I don't know about you, but, but I love just the idea of, of looking back on the old year and thinking about all of the things that were done and some of the mistakes I made and hopefully some of the mistakes I corrected, but also looking forward to a new year. And it's fun with all its possibilities and all its new beginnings. And if you're like a lot of Americans during this time of year, usually is when you come up with some kind of list, right? Because we all have things that we want to work on for the new year. We all have things that we want to improve upon in our lives, grow in, in this area. And, and maybe you write them down physically. Maybe you call them New Year's resolutions. Maybe you just have them in your head. Maybe you say, I don't do, I know a couple of you have told me before, I don't do New Year's resolutions at all. And, and maybe that's you know, true for some of you, but most of us usually have something, even if we don't write it down. We have something in our mind for this new year. I, I want to get better at this. I want to stop doing this. I want to grow in this area of my life, or I want to I develop this, this, this part of my life. And, and we all have these, these new thoughts and these new beginnings. Maybe for you, it's, uh, you know, it's fitness. And so you say, this year I want to exercise more. I want to eat healthier. I want to, you know, get, get a little bit more active. I, I want to lose some weight this year. Maybe for you it's family. Maybe you think, I, I, I just, I want to devote more time. I don't spend enough time with my kids. I, I need to be more proactive about spending time with my kids, or, or maybe uh, my, my relationship with my spouse. I, I need to grow in my relationship with my husband or, or with my wife. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's finances. You say, I, I, just, I really need to do better at, at saving more, spending less. I need to pay off some debt for this year, and I need to, need to focus on that. And so that's your New Year's resolution. That's your, your goals for this year. Or maybe for you, it's friends, and you say, I, I, I want to... 
I want to make some new friends, or I want to develop some relationships with some old friends. I want to get in touch with maybe a friend that I haven't seen in a while and kind of rekindle that friendship. And so that's the one of the, the goals for you this year. Or, or maybe for some, it's just, just fun. Like I... 2019 wasn't a lot of fun. I mean, maybe I worked too much and I didn't ever take time for me and to relax. And so I just need to relax more. I need to have more fun, maybe develop a new hobby, maybe travel more. I just need to get away from it all. Or maybe for you, it's faith. I hope for all of us at, at some level or another, there's a, a desire to grow and develop our faith and, and grow in our faith in 2020. Maybe that means growing in your prayer life devoting a little bit more time to, to talking to God and, and, and spending time with God in prayer. Maybe that means spending more time reading God's word. Maybe for you, that means starting to read God's word. Maybe for some of you, you've never really opened the Bible. And so maybe 2020 is the year that you open up God's word and, and really find out who he is for yourself by reading it. There's a lot of great reading plans out there. We are on version, and you can get on that. And it's a great tool, a lot of Bible reading plans. Maybe your plan is to read through the Bible in a year. That's a great goal to have. Or, or maybe you have a goal of, of just being more consistent when it comes to being here and worshiping together on Sunday mornings. Or maybe you, you, know, maybe you don't come to Bible class. And so maybe a, a goal for 2020 is I, I want to get here so I can study God's word and, and learn more about God's word. You know? And it's great what we do here for, for Sunday worship, but I, I, want, I want more. And so maybe it just means being more consistent about being here for Bible class or, or getting involved in a Bible study with, with someone, either whether that be here or, or, or with some other believers. And whatever it is, we all have things that we want to work on, things that we want to grow in. And it's this idea of new beginnings and a new year that causes us to be more intentional. To, to be more intentional about starting the exercise regimen, to be more intentional about eating better, to be more intentional about sitting down and, and making a budget, to, to schedule out how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to make more time for, for our kids and for our spouse and for our friends. It's, it, it makes us be more intentional about our faith and about how we're going to be committed to reading God's word and worshiping together and, and spending time in prayer. And it's this idea of new beginnings and a new year that makes us think that things can change, that we can be transformed, that this year can be different than last year. You know, all the hopes that we had at the beginning of 2019 that maybe dwindled throughout the year begin to come alive more as we start a new year and we have these new beginnings. And let me tell you, things can change. There is hope. You, you can be transformed. But let me ask you, what are you going to do when you're a couple weeks into your commitment, a couple weeks into your resolution, if you will, and you just drop the ball. I mean, we're five days in. Maybe you've already dropped the ball right now on your resolutions. And a lot of reasons why people don't make New Year's resolutions is because they think, well, I'm going to drop the ball anyway, so I might as well not even try and just, you know, quit before I ever start. But seriously, what, what are you going to do when you drop the ball? Maybe your plan is, I'm going to work out. I've got great plans. I'm going to get back to the gym. That's my, my plan. And maybe your plan is you, you're going to work out. And, and what happens when you're two weeks in, three weeks in, month in, however long you're in, one day in, however long you're in, and you, you sleep in and you miss your workout because you stayed up late binge watching Netflix and eating ice cream? What, what are you going to do? 
Or, or what are you going to do when you go out and you said, I'm going to make a budget and I'm not going to spend money unnecessarily, and you go out and you spend money that you really don't have on something that you know you really didn't even need? What are you going to do when you drop the ball when it comes to being a parent? Or maybe as a spouse. You said, I'm going to spend more time with my kids. And, and then you, you, you stay just as late at work as you did before the new year began. Or you say, I'm going to work on my relationship with my spouse, and you're two weeks in, and, and it's the same old stuff that keeps cropping up. Or what are you going to do when you, when you drop the ball when it comes to your friends and some of those relationships? Or what are you going to do when you drop the ball maybe at work, a situation, a relationship at work? What are you going to do when you drop the ball when it comes to your relationship with God? See, because some of us, we, we make these resolutions, we make these, 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 these plans that we have, and then we fail, and we say, well, I'll just wait till next year. You're going to wait a whole year before you make a New Year's resolution, and you just say, well, I, I, I messed up, I dropped the ball, so I might as well wait until 2021. I want to share a scripture with you that's been on my heart for the last couple of weeks, one of my favorite passages. It's from Lamentations chapter 3. In fact, we we just read the, or sang the song, the words to this passage in the song right before the lesson. And I love what the prophet Jeremiah writes. He writes, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. In other words, God is enough. He's all I need. Therefore, I will hope in him. I love this passage for a lot of different reasons. First and foremost is because of what it says at the very beginning, his, or at the, in the middle. His, his mercies, God's mercies are new every single morning. They are fresh and new every single day. You see, and if you're taking notes, you can write this down. How you and I feel about a new year is how God feels about each and every new day. How you and I feel about a new year with its fresh start and its new beginnings and its clean slate is how God feels about each and every day. And so when you wake up tomorrow or that next day, or maybe it's the day after you fail to, to live up to the expectations that you have for yourself or the expectations that you think somebody else has for you, wake up with the realization that God's mercies are new and fresh every single morning. They're not tired. They're not worn out mercies. They are new and fresh every single day. God sees the potential and the possibility in each and every day. And I, I love what he says in, in verse 22, the steadfast love, the, the unfailing love, the faithful love, as some translations put it, of God never ceases. It never ends. In other words, when you mess up on God, he doesn't give up on you. God's love for you is not based upon your performance. There is nothing you could do that would make God love you any more, and there's nothing you can do that will make God love you any less. Because it's not based on you. It's based on him. And some of you at the beginning of a new year and the beginning of each new day need to tell yourselves that and live in that reality that God loves you, not because of you or how well you perform or how well you got it together or how well you live up to your resolutions or your expectations. He loves you because he is God and he is perfect and he is holy and he loves you perfectly even when you are imperfect, which we all are. His love for you doesn't come from you. It comes from him. Your value doesn't come from you or how well you live up to those things. It comes 
from him. And Jeremiah says in verse 24, he says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. I like how the NIV puts it. Um, I say to myself, it says, Jeremiah says, I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. I love that because Jeremiah is basically saying, I talk to myself. Raise your hand if you talk to yourself. That's just good to admit it. New Year's resolution, just get it out of the way. Some of you are talking to yourself right now. Should I raise my hand? I don't want to look weird. Because you are weird just like everybody else. We all talk to ourselves. And Jeremiah just has the courage to admit it. I was reading about a guy named Dr. James Gills, who of all things is a world-renowned ocular surgeon, an eye surgeon, which fits well with today. But Dr. James Gills... I think I was reading up until last year, he is the only or was the only person on the planet who had completed six double Ironman triathlons, okay? Six double Ironman triathlons. So what that means, for those of you who don't know, a full one Ironman triathlon is a 4.8 mile swim, a 224 mile bike ride, and a 52.4 mile run to do a double you got to do two of them, not like in the same week or month, in a 36-hour period. He'd done six of them. The last one he did was in his 50s. Phenomenal athlete, just an um, amazing man. But they asked him in an interview, they said, how do you do it? What's the, what's the secret to your success? And he gave what I think is some great advice. He said, I've learned the difference between talking to myself and listening to myself. Let me say that again. I've learned the difference between talking to myself and listening to myself. He said, when I listen to myself, the voices say, you're too old, you're too tired, you're too weak, just give up. But when I talk to myself, I remind myself of my favorite scriptures and I keep playing that over in my mind and I encourage myself in the Lord and I continue on to finish the race. I think for a lot of us, at least part of the reason why we keep giving up is because we're listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. You see, what you tell yourself matters. And and listen to what Jeremiah tells himself. He says, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will hope in him. You see, my, my hope is not based in my circumstances. My hope is based in my Savior. My hope is not based in all the changes that I'm hoping to make as the new year rolls around. My hope is based in the one who never changes. My hope is not based in my list or all of these things that I think I've got to do. My hope is in the Lord and he is my portion. He is enough. Therefore, as Jeremiah says, I will hope in him. And I realize we've all got a list. We've all got things that we want to work on in this new year, things we want to grow in, things that we want to develop. We've all got a list, and that's all good. Those are good things. But I want to just give you one more thing this morning. And maybe you say, I don't need one more thing. I got enough things on my list and on my plate already. But I want to give you one more thing, one more resolution, if you will. We'll just call it that. Or we won't call it that if you don't want to call it that. But if you want to call it that, we'll call it a resolution. Let me just give you one more thing. And really, it's, it's not just one more thing. It is the thing. It's the main thing. Because if you live this out and you prioritize this, it'll affect every other area of your life. It'll affect every other facet of your life. But to get there, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 28. Genesis chapter 28, we're gonna be in there 
for the rest of our time this morning. And we're going to pick up in the story of a guy named Jacob. Now, Jacob had done a pretty good job up until this point, and he still has some ball dropping to do, but he has done a pretty good job of dropping the ball when it came to a lot of areas of his life. He pretty much made a mess of things. I mean, he'd, he'd lied and deceived his dad. He'd lied and deceived his brother. There, there's a strange relationships there. In fact, at this point, his brother wants to kill him. I don't know how your holidays with your extended family went, but Jacob's did not go all that well. And so Jacob is on the run and he leaves. And that's where we pick up in verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. And when he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. And as Jacob was sleeping, he has this dream of this ladder or staircase, and we're not going to get into it, but basically this, this dream is, is this ladder staircase with angels, um, you know, the, the staircase is coming out of heaven and angels are descending and ascending on this ladder, the staircase, and then the Lord speaks to Jacob. Jacob has this encounter with God there in that place, and here's what the Lord tells him in verse 13. He says, I am the Lord the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised. Verse 16, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head, set it up as a pillar, pillar and poured out oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which in Hebrew, if you look in your footnotes, means house of God, though the city used to be called Loves. Verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if or since God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking and will give me food and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household, then the Lord will be my God and this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. In many ways, this is a defining moment for Jacob. This is a turning point. This is where things begin to change. This is where he truly begins to discover the presence and the faithfulness of God. And from this encounter, he begins, he's still got a lot of growing to do, but he, he begins to move from being a disappointment to himself, being a disappointment to those around him, ultimately disappointing God in the way he's living out the call that God has for him to moving into that call and living out the plan and the purpose that God has for him. Now listen, God doesn't change Jacob's external situations right there in that moment. But what God does begin to do is to change Jacob, to change his heart. And Jacob, again, had a lot of growing to do, but it was there that Jacob began to live with an awareness of the presence of God. And if there's one thing I could hope for you, one thing I would pray for you, in 2020, as we begin a new year that I believe would change all the other things in your life and on your list, whether you make one or not, it would be this, that you would grow in your awareness of the presence of God 
in your life. That you would grow in your awareness of the presence of God in your life. What a difference it would make for you like it made for Jacob if you will grow in your awareness of the presence of God. Because I can guarantee you this. For some of you, here's the funny thing. You know, we make these New Year's resolutions or maybe you don't call them New Year's resolutions. We make them and I would guess that if you went back in 2019, your list for 2020 probably looks a lot like it. And if you went back to 2018, your list for that probably looks a lot like 2019 and 2020 and 2017 and 2016 and all the way back. But I can guarantee you this, if you will prioritize this, if you will prioritize growing in your awareness of the presence of God in your life, you will be different 12 months from now than you are today. So the question is, how do we do that? How do we prioritize his presence in our lives? How do we make that a priority and and live that out in our everyday lives? Well, I wanna give you three things, three practical things as we begin this new year that I think come out of this passage that you and I can do. And the first one is this, remind yourself what God has said. Remind yourself what God has said. Remind yourself of what is true. Let me ask you a question. Who is the most influential person? This is rhetorical, by the way. You don't have to say this out loud. Who is the most influential person in your life? Some of you are like Jesus. And yes, that's the right answer when you're in church for a lot of different questions. But aside from Jesus and God, I got a text this week from Paul Vargas, one of our deacons, and he texted me. He's got the table this morning. He said, what are you preaching on? I said, God and Jesus. That narrows it down. Um, But... But who, you know who the most influential person in your life is? You. You know how I know that? Because you talk to yourself more than anybody else. The question is, are you talking to yourself or are you listening to yourself like we talked about earlier? Are, are you telling yourself the truth or the lies of this world? Are you rooting yourself in the promises of God and the promises that he gives us in his word? In Genesis chapter 28, verse 15, Jacob God tells Jacob, I am with you and I will watch over you wherever you go. God gives him that truth. And I wonder how many times throughout the years Jacob had to tell himself, God is with me and God is watching over me. God is with me and God is watching over me. Those words, I am with you, is the most frequent promise that God gives in scripture. You know why? Because we need to know that. We need to be reminded of that. God is with me and God is for me. You may even want to write that down. I put it up here. God is with me and God is for me. Maybe that's just something you need to breathe in this year. God is with me and God is for me. Listen, if you don't talk to yourself and tell yourself God is with me and God is for me and reaffirm the promises that God gives in scripture, you will listen to yourself. And if you listen to yourself, the voices will tell you you are all alone and you are on your own. And for a lot of you, you've been living by that lie, not just in 2019, but many, 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 many years before. And you need to remind yourself of what is true and what is real in the promises of God. This is a new day. This is a new year. And God's mercies and his love are fresh every single day. And you need to remind yourself of what is true. Remind yourself of what what God has said, that he is with you and he is for you. Secondly, recognize what God is doing. 
recognize what God is doing. Jacob says in verse 16, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. Now, Jacob is aware of of the omnipresence of God, but he's not tuned in to God's presence in that moment. God was here and I I wasn't aware. And I think Jacob shows us, and I think we know the reality of this, this, this reality right here that Jacob shares with us, that you and I can be so busy we can be so preoccupied and, and, and go about life that we completely miss God's presence. That we completely miss what God is doing in our lives and in our families and in this church and in the world around us. And, and I think maybe some of it has to do with understanding a couple of, of, of foundational principles. And I think if we understand these two principles, that at least helps. And I'll get to the second thing in just a minute that I think we also have to understand. But two principles that scripture really paints that I think are, are so pertinent for us to understand. One, God is always present. And second, God is always working. Okay? God is always present. He's not in one place at, at one time. He's always present. And God is always working. He doesn't take vacations. God, God is always working. God says in Hebrews chapter 13 that I will never leave you nor forsake you. And Jesus says in John 5, 17, the the father is always at work and so am I. God is always present and God is always working, but sometimes we miss it because I think we're looking at the wrong things. And I think some of this has to do, here's the second thing I want to point out. I think some of this has to do with what A.W. Tozer calls the secular sacred divide. I want to go back to our list for just a second. Because this idea that there's this divide between what is secular in our lives and what is sacred. And we kind of compartmentalize these things in our lives. And so we have this idea of things that are sacred. And so faith, right, and things associated with faith are sacred. What we're doing here Today, this morning, that's sacred. Reading our Bible, that's sacred. Prayer time, that's sacred. All of those things that we associate with faith, those things are sacred. And then on the other side, we we have these other things that are secular. And so fitness is secular. Family is secular. Finances are secular. Our jobs are secular. Friends are secular. Fun is certainly secular. (laughs) Our hobbies are secular. Our recreational activities are secular, right? And so I can compartmentalize. And so what I do in those sacred moments, that's sacred. But what I do in these these secular moments, those are compartmentalized, right? But you see, God doesn't view things that way. There's not a separation of when I leave this building, the things that I do are secular, or when I, when I put down my Bible and close it up and I'm done with my reading, then that becomes secular. Romans talks about how your, your life is a spiritual act of worship. Your life is meant to be sacred. The totality of your life is meant to be sacred. And so what happens is when we tear down that divide, we remove that divide, then all of life becomes sacred. That's the intention because your faith And your relationship with God is meant to impact all of this stuff so that it all becomes sacred. And so when that happens, not only is faith and all of those things sacred, but fitness becomes sacred. One of the things that I found out that was so powerful for me when I started losing weight and I started being more fit is the spiritual aspect of that. 
that I was glorifying God. And I'm not saying that if you don't, you're not glorifying. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying there was a spiritual aspect where I was, God touched me spiritually when I started getting in touch with how much I was taking care of my body. And, And so fitness becomes sacred. Family becomes sacred. Finances become sacred. Family, friends become sacred. Our jobs become sacred. Fun becomes sacred. Your hobbies become sacred. Your recreational activities, they become sacred because they're they're lived, they're done out of everything that you do for Christ. Does that make sense? And when we prioritize his presence in our lives, we tear down those walls. I think another reason why we don't experience the power and presence of God, and maybe at the top of the list in our lives, is because we whittle down. We whittle down our experience of God to an hour long Sunday morning service and a footprint of a building. And we think, this is where I encounter God. And then I go out into my, my, my rest of my week, and Monday through Saturday, God's just in my rearview mirror. And he doesn't affect my fitness, my family, my finances, my, fam- my, my friends, my fun. He doesn't impact it. But let me tell you this. This time is of utmost importance. Don't get me wrong. This, this time is of utmost importance that we come, that we gather, that we worship together as God's people. But your father is not just in for weekend visitation. He wants full custody. He wants you all the time, all of you, because he wants you to experience his power and his presence, not just on a Sunday morning in a church building, but Monday through Saturday in all areas of your life. And what would it be like in 2020 if we were to prioritize that? If we lived our lives with that heightened awareness of of, of God's presence and of how he's working and how we can join him in what he's doing. The father is always present. The father is always working. And when we seek to recognize what he is doing, we grow in our awareness of his presence. And then thirdly and lastly, remember what God has done. Remember what God has done. Verse 18 Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and he poured oil on top of it and he called that place Bethel, which as I said, means house of God. Jacob has this experience with God, this encounter with God, and then he creates a tangible reminder of God's presence and God's faithfulness. A couple years ago, Cruz and I were out riding bikes Actually, he was riding bike. Well, he was riding a bike. He's talented. He can't ride two bikes at one time. But he was riding a bike, and I was walking with him. And so we have a lane that's about, I don't know, a quarter mile, maybe a little bit less from our house that goes back into the fields and back into the woods. And so Cruz and I were out walking, and, and he was riding bike. Well, he was riding bike. I was walking with him. And so we stopped, and we were going down this lane, and, and we're just back there, and there's a place, there's little pebbles and rocks that we can throw, and so we were doing that. And then I, I just kind of turned around, and it's late in the day, and I turned around, and just this beautiful horizon, just beautiful, all kinds of colors. You live out in the country, you get great sunsets and great sunrises. And so I, I just turned around, I was just moved, and I said, buddy, let's just, let's pray. Let's just thank God for this moment that we're in 
And so we did. We just kind of hugged each other, and I prayed, and he prayed he wanted to pray. And, and so we're just thanking God. And it wasn't like long. Um, I'm not that spiritual. It wasn't that long. We just prayed together, and, um, and then we, we kind of went back to what we were doing and, and then eventually went home. A couple weeks later, we're out there again, right? He's riding his bike, and we go down the lane again. And he's kind of looking around, we, you know, doing stuff out there. And he turns to me and he says, Dad, can we pray together? I said, absolutely not. No, I'm just kidding. I said, absolutely we can. I mean, that's like, oh. And so he prayed and I prayed. And, and we've done that several times. I mean, that was just a moving moment for me as a dad that my son thinks about that. That's all his mom, by the way. She's doing <laughs> all that work. But we, we've done that a couple times since. Every time we go out there, he, he wants to pray. I tell you that story because every time I think about that place, just about every time I drive, and I drive by that way when I'm coming home a lot of times, I think about my love for my son. And I think about God's love for my son. And I think about God's love for our family and how he has brought our family together and how he's worked. And I think about God's faithfulness to me and to my family and to my, my kids. It is powerful to remember. When you remember well, what once was real becomes real again. And it's so important for us to remember I don't know what that means for you. Maybe there's a place that you have in your mind or maybe there's a place that you go to. Maybe there's a, a picture that you have of an event or a person. Maybe there's an item that you have. Maybe it's a verse of scripture that you have in your mind or you plaster up on your wall. There's great stickers you can get and just put it on your wall that reminds you. But get some. we need tangible reminders of God's faithfulness and God's love. It's powerful to remember. In fact, in many ways, that's what communion is. We're gonna share in, in that in just a few moments together as a church family. That's what communion is. Communion is a remembrance of God's faithfulness in the past that points us to something in the future. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in what? Remembrance of me. In the same way, after he took the cup, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. In communion, we are looking back and we are remembering God's love and God's faithfulness through what he did for us through Jesus Christ on the cross which gives us a better awareness of his presence in the present, but it also gives us a hope and an assurance of what he will one day do through Jesus when he returns. And, and, and we think about all that he's done for us and we proclaim that, but we also proclaim what he will one day do through Jesus when he returns to take us home one day. It is powerful to remember. In fact, years later, in Genesis chapter 35, God directs Jacob back to Bethel. And it's there, I won't go through the whole story. You can read it in Genesis chapter 35, but, but basically Jacob and his household just rededicate themselves to God. And verse seven says, there he built an altar 
And he called the place El Bethel because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. And I can just imagine as Jacob kneels down and he starts grabbing some stones to stack them up. You know, he's there with his family, with his kids. When he was there earlier in Genesis chapter 28, it's just him. And in many ways, he felt like he was on his own and all alone. And now he's got the presence of God with him. Now he's got a family, he's got kids, and he's stacking up these stones. And I can just imagine his kids are watching him do this and they're like, Dad, what are you doing? And he's like, well, let me tell you. I was once a cheat and a liar and a manipulator and a deceiver. I disappointed myself. I disappointed everybody around me. I ruined relationships left and right. But it was in this place right here that I encountered God. It was in this place right here that I began to understand that God is with me and God is for me. And we are back here today. My relationship with my brother is mended. God's got a plan and a purpose for me. We are back here today because God is faithful. And he's given me a hope and a future. It is important to remember what God has done. It is important to recognize what God is doing. And it is important to tell yourself, remind yourself the truth and what God has said. So let me ask you, what are you prioritizing this year? What's on your list? Because if you will prioritize the presence of God in your life, it'll impact every other area and every other facet of your life. If you will seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, all these other things will be added to you as well. So as we start a new year, maybe you just need to breathe in the truth. God is with me and God is for me.